God provided for Daniel and shut the lion's mouth by sending. And in the same way, God provides for us out of his mercy and grace by sending his son to die on the cross that we may be saved. You're listening to the Bellevue Baptist Gadsden Podcast. This week's message from Pastor Colt Hudson is from Daniel chapter 6. We hope that this message will be a blessing to you. Thanks for listening. Amen. What an appropriate song this morning. uh, As we are going to be looking at a message from Daniel 6, verses 1 through 28, called Persevering in Persecution. Uh, So if you will, go ahead and be turning in your Bibles there. But as you're turning, I I just want to tell you this morning, we're taking a break from our series through the Gospel of John. uh, And we'll be doing that throughout this entire month. Uh, This month, we're taking a break. Uh, We will pick back up in June, and then we'll uh, press right on there. But uh, this month, with uh, having a few guest speakers and and different things that are going on, we're taking a break from the Gospel of John. But uh, today, we're going to be looking at Daniel 6, verses 1 through 28, and again, looking at this idea of persevering in persecution. And many of us, especially as American Christians, hear that and go, what does that have to do with me? We live in a place, in a time in which we are very blessed Uh, Again, to be able to gather together here safely today. But we have to remember that persecution is promised. Jesus said in John 15, 19 through 20, he says, If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Jesus here did not promise us an easy life, but a persecuted one. Persecution is the norm in every generation of the church, in every part of the world. The 20th century in the United States is an outlier. It's an exception. It is not the norm. If we open our eyes and we hear from our brothers and sisters throughout the world and we look at church history, we see that it is not just a a possible thing that we might face persecution. It's not a little thing, but that the persecution of Christians is prevalent. It is so much bigger than we realize, and it's been that way from the beginning. If we look at the book of Acts, we see very early on the stoning of Stephen. We see beatings. We see imprisonments. In the immediate 300 years after Christ's resurrection, Christians faced persecutions that we cannot even fathom. They were thrown into the Colosseum and killed for sport. They were burned in Rome as streetlights on street corners. In the Reformation and the time surrounding it, the Inquisition and the corrupt Church of Rome killed many believers simply on the basis of their confessing the Bible's truth rather than man's. John Hus, one of the first reformers, was burned at the stake. They told him all he had to do was deny the gospel that he preached and recant. But his response was, in the same gospel truth which I have written, taught, and preached, I am ready to die today. Hugh Latimer in England, when burned at the stake alongside Nicholas Ridley and Thomas Cranmer for the crime of preaching the true gospel, said to his brothers, be of good cheer. Would later tell Master Ridley to play the man. The point was that they should trust in God. They should be strong and courageous men because God had a plan. We continue to trace this history of persecution and we come to today's world where we see it just as much. In a 2020 article in Forbes, Open Doors said that there are 340 million Christians living in countries where they are likely to experience high or severe persecution. 
This is a quote. It says, that is one in eight worldwide, one in six in Africa, two out of five in Asia, and one in 12 in Latin America. And they began to do some research on it. What they found was that in the 10 months between 2019 and 2020, 4,761 Christians were killed explicitly for their faith. Around 4,500 church buildings were destroyed. Over 4,300 were unjustly imprisoned. 1,700 kidnapped. And what happens is that that works out to every day. 13 being killed for their faith. 12 churches destroyed. 12 people arrested. 5 kidnapped every day simply for being a Christian. This is 2020. The last two years, it has not changed. We can complain about America and its ungodliness, and surely we are justified in that at times. But remember that we are also entirely blessed that we can gather here today without worrying about our lives. But the amazing thing of all of this is that the church thrives in persecution. As blessed as we are in America, we can be sure, as Jesus said, that persecution will come. And when it does, how will we respond How do we persevere in persecution? The story we look at today is a story of of persecution. It's a story of perseverance by God's grace. We see Daniel, a high-ranking government official, in his persecution at the hands of ungodly men and his preservation by our great God. So let's look at this text together today. We'll read it, have a word of prayer, and then we will make some application. But I'll be reading from the ESV. You follow along in your translation. Verse 1, it says, It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps, so to be throughout the whole kingdom. And over them, three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors, are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction, that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he This is the tactic of the world. Sin is okay and all of us agree it's okay. So you either get in line or die. But they play to the king's pride and they get him to sign this law attacking and flying in the face of God's word. Here's the thing. In order to not feel convicted about their sin, people have to silence holiness. And in order to silence holiness, they have to silence God. And since they can't do that, they settle for silencing his people and his servants. 
It's not about us as individuals. It's about a hatred for God and his word and the truth. And so what we see here is, again, they want Daniel out. They want to silence him so that they can keep doing what they're doing and not feel bad about it. So they get the king who, in his pride, signs this proclamation. But it's so important because this proclamation is not just any proclamation. It's not any decree. It is a law of the Medes and Persians which cannot be changed. The Persians saw their king as a god. That's what gave him authority. Right? The Persians believed that the king was, was, was there. He was a god in their religion and in their system. And so, by their reasoning, what they realized was that God, really, any god that's worth his salt can't change his mind. So if the king were to sign a law and then change it, he would be denying that he was a god and then people wouldn't let him be king anymore and the whole thing would fall apart. That's why the law of the Medes and the Persians couldn't change. Because of their false religion and their system and their, this weird belief that the king was a god. So what happens is, again, is they appeal to his pride and now he is stuck. He has made this rule. It will be the rule for 30 days no matter what happens. This is the law in Persia. So what we see here is that for Daniel, persecution is coming. And I can guarantee you that if we speak the truth, if we teach the truth, if we're serious about it and we stand on it, we will be persecuted for it. They will come for us. They will come for Bellevue Baptist Church. How does Daniel respond? This leads you to my second point this morning, which is prayer. We see persecution, and now we see prayer. When Daniel hears about it, what does he do? He goes and he gets on his knees before God in prayer three times a day with the windows open as he had previously done. That's an important fact here, as he had previously done. This is amazing. This is boldness. Daniel did not go into hiding. He wasn't secretly praying. Daniel did what he always did. It wasn't a false show of bravado to show that he was so tough he was just going to keep doing what he was doing. No, this is a consistent lifestyle for Daniel. A lifestyle of prayer. His devotion to God did not change because the law forbid it. He prayed. Now what's so amazing here is that normally in the Old Testament, people stood to pray. Right? We think about the prayer of the Pharisee in Jesus' teaching. How does it describe them? Right? It says the man was standing at a distance. The, the default system of prayer was to stand. It was the normal way to pray, and that was fine. But Daniel gets on his knees in humility, prays with the windows open, because that was what he did consistently. He had a lifestyle prayer. I hear a lot of people preach about these kind of things on persecution, and the question is always the same. Would we do the same? Right? And the answer, usually, from any, any person with a little bit of good intention in their heart is to say, yes, I will stand in persecution. We like to believe that. What you'll see is that all those who are faithful under persecution, they have a strong prayer life. 
You have to rely on God in these moments if you are to stand fast and not compromise and give in. A lot of people just wouldn't show up to prayer meeting if it was 30 days of no prayer. They'd find something else to do for 30 days and then try to repent later. But one of the reasons I think we're not as faithful when difficulty comes along is that we don't faithfully pray now when we're totally free to do so. A lot of us just don't show up for prayer anyway. We have no fear of praying in America. You can pray wherever you want, whenever you want, and yet how often do we do it? Martin Luther said to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. Paul calls us to pray without ceasing. In Ephesians 6, he asks for prayer during a time of persecution and imprisonment. He said, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Paul was in prison for preaching the gospel. He was persecuted. And he's asking for prayer for everybody and himself to be bold, to be faithful, even while imprisoned. Paul wanted prayers to remain faithful even while he was persecuted. Daniel was convicted and sentenced to death because he prayed faithfully. Could the same be said of us? Again, a frequent preacher illustration, right? If it was illegal and people were watching you, would there be enough evidence to convict you of actually being a Christian? Is there enough evidence in your life to support that you actually have a lifestyle of worship for the true and living God? Daniel was convicted on prayer alone. His prayer life was a focal point in his life of worship, and ours should be too. If we are being persecuted, then by all means, we ought to pray. But if we are again in a place where we are so blessed as we are, just as Paul asked for prayer for himself while he was in persecution, we better be praying for our brothers and sisters who are in persecution. Recently, I had the opportunity to speak with a believer from Nigeria, and he was telling me that he had no clue whether his family was safe each day or not. Because there they kill Christians. And his family are believers. So there was a raid on our town? I don't know. I haven't heard from them. We must pray that God would strengthen them and keep them faithful to the end. If we are quick to reevaluate our spiritual life when people give us a funny look or say something about us, how will we feel when they're coming to our town? May we not compromise. The same survey from the intro that I, I share with you about those countries, it says that to be a Christian in North Korea is a death sentence. And yet, there it grows. Friends, we have brothers and sisters in Christ throughout this world who are suffering in persecution. We ought to be people of prayer for ourselves that we would stand firm and stand fast and not compromise, but also for them that they wouldn't either. Open your eyes and ears and pray for ourselves and for believers around the world. And as church members, we have a responsibility to pray for one another too. Thirdly, I want you to see this morning providence. We see persecution, we see prayer, and we see providence. I want you to see though that the reason that Daniel prayed is because he knew where his hope was. He knew there is no hope in man. 
whether you or the government. It says when Daniel knew this was signed, he understood the system. He's a high-ranking government official. He knows what the law of the Medes and the Persians means. The king himself, he wants to deliver Daniel. He, he works until the very nightfall and he can do nothing about it. The king wants to deliver Daniel and thinks on it, but even the king himself is helpless to deliver Daniel. And the same is true here. Friends, even if you elect the right people, the government cannot save us. The Constitution, as amazing as it is, cannot save us. Daniel knew the consequences and he prayed anyway because his hope was not in men or in the government, it was in God. Our hope is in God alone. They take Daniel and they throw him in the lion's den and they seal him in. Darius wishes him well. May your God deliver you. You serve him continually. But ultimately, Darius, as much as he wanted to deliver Daniel, seals the den with his own signet. So that the next morning, the Bible tells us at the earliest possible moment, the king goes to see what has happened to Daniel. He doesn't know. He's had a sleepless night. He asks, has your God been able to deliver you? And Daniel answers, my God sent his angel to shut the mouths of the lions because I have been found blameless before him and also before you. God provided, hence, his providence. Sinclair Ferguson defined providence this way. He says, the providence of God is the way which he governs everything wisely, first for the glory of his own name and second for the ultimate blessing of his children. Providence is how God works out, Romans 8, 28, where he says, I... We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. It's providence, God working it out. Daniel's name means God is my judge. God protected Daniel, which leads to his name being glorified in all the kingdom. God provided by sending his angel to shut the mouth of the lion. Now, some people think this is a pre-incarnate version of Jesus, like in the fiery furnace. Uh, Others disagree, and, and I'll tell you, it's not immediately clear from the text. But what is clear is that God provided for Daniel and shut the lion's mouth by sending. And in the same way, God provides for us out of his mercy and grace by sending his son to die on the cross that we may be saved. Because unlike Daniel, we are not found guilty on the basis of some bogus law. We are found guilty based on God's word. And unlike Daniel, we are righteously condemned to death. Our hope is not in ourselves. We cannot work our way out. Our hope is not in the government. They can't do anything about it. Our hope must be in Christ alone, the Son of God, sent by God to bear our punishment. For just as the angel closed the mouths of the lions, Christ has shut the mouth of hell for those who believe in him and follow him. And the only way we can declare like Daniel that we are blameless is if we are in him, in Christ No harm is found on Daniel as he comes out of the den because he trusted in God. No harm will be found on us for eternity if we trust Christ as Lord and Savior. We may have to go through the lion's den. We may have to walk through the fire. We may suffer and we may die. But like Daniel's friends in the fiery furnace scenario, we must confess that even if we do die, we shall not turn from our God because he is our only hope in life and death. When we trust in God's providence, we can rest in the lion's den. But when we have no concept of trusting in God, we cannot sleep in the palace or the lap of luxury. The comparison here is amazing. 
Trusting God's perfect will, even when we're walking through great pain, is the only way that we will ever make it through. This life is hard enough without persecution. Some of you are are, are barely hanging on, even in a country where you're free to worship God. If that's you, let me encourage you. Read about God's providence. Read your Bible. God has a plan. He has from the beginning. He knows everything about you, your sin, when you'll die, every hair on your head. He has a plan for your life from before the foundation of the world. You can trust him. And when you do, it is a freeing experience to know that nothing can befall you except what God allows, so we trust in him alone. But I want to tell you something. By God, when he delivers us, give him the glory. Daniel could have taken it from himself, or for himself. He could have said that he was the meanest son of a Hebrew that there was, and that the lions didn't want any part of that. But that was not the case. Daniel did not save himself by his brawn, his strength, his own mind or wisdom. The king and the government didn't save him. God saved him. And we would do well to remember that the same is true of us. It's not about us or our government, it's about God. People can will whatever they want, but it's God's will that matters, so give him the glory. Give him the glory when he saves. When he spares us from persecution, even now we can give him the glory. Thank you, God, for your grace in sparing us from that right now. We can give him the glory when he sustains When we're walking through a time of persecution in which it is difficult and hard, we give him the glory for keeping us going through it. Or as Job says in in Job 13, 15, though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. How can Job say that? How can he give God the glory even when death is on his doorstep? Job didn't know what was going to happen. For all he knew, he was about to die. But he knew that there was a plan for his ultimate good and for God's glory. Job, Daniel, Jesus, Paul, John, they all knew that God had a plan and they trusted in his providence. So we see persecution and prayer and providence and finally we see a proclamation. When we trust in God alone and when we walk through persecution and give God the glory, people take note. When you walk through pain and keep on worshiping, that is real and it is noteworthy and it is different. Most people fall to pieces. If we can glorify God and praise him even through the storms of our life, it is just phenomenal to see. The martyrs are some of the most inspiring stories that there are. The the Hugh Latimer story I shared in the intro is one of the most inspiring stories that there is to me. These people glorify God in the darkest moments of their life. With their last breaths choking on smoke, they give God the glory in moments like these, and that makes people think. And that was certainly the case in Daniel's situation. He glorifies God to the king. He he doesn't take the credit for himself. But he tells the king, God saved me. The king throws the evildoers in the lion's den, and the lions do their thing. Bad guys don't even hit the ground before they're eaten. But what happens with Darius? He's shook up, he's shaken, and he makes a proclamation, a decree to every nation, people, and language that dwells in all the earth. 
peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed. His dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. It's beautiful. Ultimately, persevering through persecution by God's grace is an amazing evangelistic tool. May we remember that our hope is in God alone. May we share that hope with those around us. If you've walked through a persecution, if you've been there, people want to hear those stories. I mean, they're fascinating, interesting. But the interest is, is not in just people with cool stories. There are all kinds of those. The interest is in a God who saves and sustains even through it all. May we remember along again with Daniel and Darius that he's the living God whose dominion is to the end, whose kingdom can't be destroyed. He delivers, he rescues. He saved Daniel from the power of the lions and he can save us from the power of sin. This decree of Darius is is reminiscent of what God has called us to do to go to all peoples, nations, and languages and to share the gospel, to share the story of the living God who endures, who saves and rescues. Our hope must not be in ourself or in anything else. Our hope must be in Christ alone. If you place your hope there, you will be saved from sin by his providence. Persecution is promised. When we face it, the only way we will persevere is by his grace. Let's go in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for who you are. Lord, for the great and mighty power that you hold in your hand. Lord, for your grace and mercy in providing for even us Father, we pray that during this time as we reflect, Lord, we would be worshipful for there is so much to worship you for, for saving us, for sparing us, Lord, for sustaining us when we go through a difficult time. Lord, we know that no matter what happens, you are good, you are strong and mighty. Lord, you have a plan. Father, help us to trust in that. Father, we pray that your will would be done even now. Lord, you would call us. Lord, you would shape us and mold us into the people that you want us to be, that we would live lives that would be more pleasing to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Bellevue Baptist Gadsden Podcast. We would love for you to join us on campus for worship Sunday mornings at 1045. We look forward to seeing you. Have a great week.